Father, we thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that we can cast every anxiety, every worry, every pain, every hardship on you, and that you can take it, Lord. Not only that, but you, you want it, Lord. You want, you want us to be so dependent on you trusting in you, Father, that we would just cast everything on you. And so, Father, I pray that you would motivate our hearts to do that this morning. As we study your word, Father, I pray that you would unearth the things that we are holding on to, the pain and the struggles that we want for ourselves, Lord. I pray that you would unearth those and expose them in our hearts, Father, that we would speak the things that we need to speak to you in order to trust you more with them, Lord. Father, we thank you for um, thank you for Tom right now as he's uh, overseas ministering in Ukraine and in Romania. Father, we do pray for safety and protection for him. Father, we pray that um, that you would you would bless his ministry to the people there. Pray that you would bring him back safely to us, Father, and that we would rejoice in the reports that he has as well. Father, I pray that you'd speak through Tim as he unpacks the word for us this morning. I pray that our hearts would be receptive to it, Father, that we would be like clay in your hands, Father, that you would mold us through the preaching of your word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Be seated. A few things. Few announcements as we get started um, this morning. Um, first of all, I wanted to let you know that we do have the graduate reception today after the service. So I want you to stick around. We're going to meet a couple of our seniors. They're going to come up here in a moment. Um, but some other things going on in the life of the church as as. Uh, Jason prayed. Tom Perry, one of our elders, is actually in Romania right now. Um, he was in Ukraine over the weekend um, and had the opportunity through our partners there in Romania. Like I, I've told you before, we have two churches that we partner with that are within 100 miles of the Romanian-Ukraine uh, border, and uh, they have been delivering supplies to Ukrainian refugees. Uh, we see on the news all the people that have been displaced to other countries Poland, Hungary, Romania, etc. Um, there's a ton of millions of displaced people in Ukraine as well. And so we were able to, um, through Tom and through partners there, um, and through some funds from our church that people gave, we were able to give a couple truckloads of uh, supplies into Ukraine. Tom was able to deliver them through a um, Baptist college that was there and through the network of evangelical churches there in Ukraine. So if you would, please pray for for that ministry, for Tom, for Donnie Gruyan and Renastria Church, for Emi Kura and um, Geneza Church, and the ministry that they're doing in that area right now. And when Tom gets back, he's going to give a little bit more of an update just about what he saw and how we were able to, as a church, partner with this issue that's right on the front lines and, and on the front page news um, every day right now. And so thank you for your prayers and your support. And that's just one of those things that that support and involvement in a local church 
can sometimes have uh, ripple effects all around the world. And so it's a reminder that we pray and we give for our missionaries all over the world. Um, this week, um, Nick and Julia Brown are going to Southeast Asia. Nick and Julia were with us and their family a few weeks ago. They have prayer support cards out in the gymnasium. If you want one of those, they are moving this very week to go overseas, and they may not be back with us for two or three years because they do not plan to come back in that time. And so please be in prayer for them. And remember, as you pray for your local church and as you give, and we have the offering boxes here and in the gym, remember that what you're giving towards is what God is doing to build his kingdom all around the nations. It's the ministry of the local church here, which God is blessing and growing us as a church, but also what God is doing around the nations. Um, Women's ministry has a lunch uh, two weeks from today on May the 15th immediately after the service in the backstage cafe. The women's ministry is providing um, a chicken salad lunch for ladies, and I'm told it's middle school and up. So if you have any daughters that want to join you along uh, middle school, high school, college, adults, everybody um, is welcome in those ranges. Um, there is a sign-up sheet on the table in the gymnasium. Um, and, and there's also, um, so a few things out in the gymnasium. There's the prayer cards for Nick and Julia Brown. There's a sign-up for the um, women's lunch. There's also the Bible um, bin to donate Bibles to go into the jail ministry. If you have any, any new Bibles or used Bibles you want to donate to the Whitfield County Jail. Uh, on the women's ministry lunch, two weeks from today, and we have a little bit of a household challenge that I just came up with right now. Because in the last service, Jess was able to be here and give the announcement, and here I'm Jess's stand-in. And I will tell you that the men's lunch a few weeks ago was exactly like this. We, just, we, didn't, we didn't have chicken salad, we had barbecue. And that's just kind of a men-women difference thing. But we had 48 guys at the men's lunch. And so I would just really like to see if you ladies could get 48 ladies to your lunch. Because um, there's going to be some sort of bragging rights thing within my own household between Jess and I for who ends up with more. So just making that full disclosure to you guys about what's going on in my house. Um, but as I said, today is our graduate recognition um, Sunday. So we have uh, three young ladies that we are recognizing this morning. And so we want to invite you to stay after service for a little bit. There are... Um, cookies and some drinks out there in the lobby. There's also three tables for each of these three young ladies, and they have journals on each table where you can write a short message, write a prayer, a word of encouragement, whatever you want to write to those ladies. And we would really encourage you to stick around for a little while after the service and, and walk through the gymnasium to sign those books, greet those ladies. They have um, card uh, baskets as well. And look, Jess is here just in time to not make her announcement. Thank you, Jess. Um, but, um, but um, we want you to join us afterwards. Now I'm going to show the video. Then AJ is going to bring a couple of our young ladies up to uh, show them off and, and celebrate their accomplishments.
All right, we'll have our seniors come on up. Y'all enjoy those pictures? Those pictures are awesome. I absolutely love them. All right, we'll have our, our ladies come on up. So we've got Aaron and Allie with us this morning, um, and Amelia White is our third senior, but she was not able to be with us. Um, but we are still wanting to celebrate her. And so we are very proud of our seniors. This is a day that I've been looking forward to. And so Tim had said, we've got the reception after the service, and we've got the notebook, we've got the basket, and then I was going to give them Bibles during this service, but I decided to go ahead and put them on their tables. So that's the third thing that you can do, is we've got their Bibles on their tables, and if you want to go and just highlight a verse, something that just means a lot to you, that if you think back to when y'all were their age, a verse that, that you wish that you had known, um, that, that's something else that we want to do for them. But, so we've got Allie and Aaron, and so I'm going to give y'all a little bit of information about both. So we've got Aaron Higgins, the daughter of Mark and Linda Higgins, um, and she is the middle of three so she has an older sibling, Megan, and then a younger brother, Mark, right there. Um, and she is graduating from Christian Heritage as a valedictorian. All of our graduates are all from CHS this year. Um, and she is attending Georgia in the fall and is um, going to be studying social studies education in order to become a history teacher. If you know anything about Erin, you'll see the books that are on her table. She loves to read. She loves history. 
And that's everything for Aaron. All right, and then we've got Allie Rotten, who is the daughter of Jason and Nicole Rotten. And she has, is the fourth out of five. All right, so then we've got, we've got Hagen, Mac, Zach, Allie, and then Stryker. And so um, she is also graduating from CHS and is going to study at the University of North Georgia and is going to be studying business. And then we also have Amelia White, who's the daughter of Ken and Leisha White. She is the youngest of three and has an older sister, Katie Beth, and an older sister, Erin Grace. Um, she's graduating from CHS, and she is attending Clemson this fall to study business. And so um, these are our seniors. We're very excited uh, for them. And last year, I was watching the video for the seniors and how they celebrated them last year. And there was, I think, four of them, and there was five total. And I remember Tim saying that... Um, the four seniors that they had last year were so important for laying the groundwork for when I was going to be getting here. And he um, just celebrated them and just how great of a job that they had done. And as I watched that, I started thinking about these seniors. And as I thought about them, uh, the four seniors that were from last year laid the groundwork for me to get here. These two seniors, and Amelia also included in that, they laid the foundation for my first year here. Um, we will be here a full year in July. And these two seniors have done absolutely a great job in just welcoming me. Erin has done a great job. of. She was the one that was here when I first got here, and she was just, I felt her support from day one. And she stepped up in, in our worship ministry, and has just been such a great leader in our youth group, and has just been, uh, has done a great job of just making me and Carson and Amelia feel so loved. And then Allie came along during the school year, and Allie has just got one of those personalities that is just what our group needed. She's a girl that will speak to anybody. Um, she's somebody that makes all the new people that we've had start coming this year just feel welcomed and feel like they're a part. And she's also done a great job with bringing Stryker and all of his buddies. And that's a, that's a big job, too. And so we appreciate her for doing that and, and suffering in that. And so I love you guys, and I appreciate you guys so much, and we just cannot wait to see what the Lord continues to do to y'all with y'all in the future, and so if y'all will, just join me as we pray for them. Lord, we thank you for today, God, and I thank you so much, uh, Lord, for these seniors. Um, Lord, I thank you for the families that they represent, um, and Lord, I thank you so much, uh, Lord, just for so much of what you've done in their lives up to this point, um, and God, just being able to, to work with them this year and just getting to know them more, and just seeing them grow. Um, and Lord, I just, Lord, it takes a church to get them up to this point. Lord, it takes a village, uh, Lord, to raise a child. And Lord, I just pray that as they just continue out, as they go on to college, as they're going away from their families, Lord, that they would still know that their church is here for them. Um, Lord, that we want to support them as they go through this next stage of life. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with them as they go off to their colleges. Lord, I pray that they'll, they'll take the word with them, God. Colossians 3.16, Lord, I pray that the word will dwell richly in them. God, that in your word you've given them all that they need, that you will equip them for everything that you've called them to. Um, and so, Lord, I just pray that you would just be with them as they go, Lord, that they would continue to use their gifts, God, that you've um, obviously shown them in these last few years. God, just continue to grow in that. Lord, they would continue to seek out your will in their life. And, Lord, we just pray that you would bless them, Lord. And, and so, Lord, we, we thank you for the time that we've had with them. Lord, we thank you for it. Um, and, Lord, we just can't wait to see what you do with them in the future. And so, Lord, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give a hand for them.
Well, turn with me to uh, Psalm chapter 13. I have deceived you this week. I told you last week we'd be in Lamentations. I said all week we'd be in Lamentations, and I just told you to turn to Psalm 13. Um, And that is because as we begin this journey of walking through what it means to lament in Scripture, before we we go deep into the waters of the book of Lamentations, we're going to start with Psalm 13. It's a little bit more straightforward. It's shorter, and it will help us as we go into the difficulty that is Lamentations. Because if I was to ask you to just go home and as your homework for this week, to read just Lamentations chapters 1 and 2, I would leave you in a place of deep despair. Because those two chapters are really, really tough. Chapter 3 is awesome. It gets really good in chapter 3. But in chapters 1 and 2, it's really difficult to wade through. So we need to talk about what lament is before we go into Scripture's longest and fullest lament in the book of Lamentations. And I'll also say... um, About a third of the book of Psalms are Psalms of Lament. There's 150 of them, and right around 50 of them are characterized as Psalms of Lament. And so it's not just the book of Lamentations that does this thing called lamenting in Scripture. But we have to understand what lament is if we're going to embrace it and unpack it together. So I'm going to start by asking you a question. When did you learn to cry? And the truth is, you probably didn't ever learn to cry. You just did it because you know that a baby is healthy at birth by the cry. On day one of your life, to breathe is to cry. To live is to cry. And so that's how you know that a baby is healthy and breathing and thriving because long before the first words come, the first tears come. And mothers of young children, you know how often those tears come. And, we've, and anyone who's had a young child has had those sleepless nights of learning the tears and learning what to do and what the tears mean long before you can articulate any words. But lament is a cry out, but it's something you have to learn how to do. There's a different type of crying that's not just the crying you do at birth. You know, when um, there's been a couple times with my young children which are 9, 7, and 6, where either Jess or I have, have teared up at something that's a, a positive, a joyful thing, has led to tears, led to a positive emotion resulting in tears. And that just freaks out our kids. They don't get that. Seven-year-olds and six-year-olds do not understand tears of joy. Eden's starting to understand it a little bit better now, but Jericho and Karis, they look at us like we've lost our minds. Why would you be crying about something that you're happy about? That doesn't make sense because that cry that you pick up early on that just comes so natural is the cry of pain. But, but to, to cry in joy requires deeper emotion. It requires a, a deeper maturity. And so I have this great honor and privilege of so many times, 40, 50 times over the last 10 years, I've gotten to be the guy standing right here with a groom that's standing right here and a bride walking down the aisle right over there. And it's one of the funnest experiences to have, to be right there at the right hand of the groom as they're looking at their bride-to-be walking down the aisle and experiencing all of the emotions of the wedding day, to, to see the bride and her emotions, to see the, um, the groom and his emotions, occasionally see the father of the bride show a little bit of emotion. Mark knows what I'm talking about with that one. 
Um, but there's always this experience of, of this joy and, and pride that I get when I get to experience it. And sometimes, I mean, the groom just like, just like explodes in emotion and, and just tears of joy. And then there's the stoic, the stoic groom. It's just like, I don't, everybody's looking at me and my future bride, and I don't like standing in front of people, and I don't know what to do right now. So they just like stuff everything, and they act like nothing is going on there. And um, I'll just say that I was more the second type of just kind of stoically standing there when we got married. I've been reminded of it often since then. <laughs> um, Jess will tell me that, um, boy, that was really sweet the way that guy cried at that wedding. You remember how you didn't cry at our wedding. And uh, the truth is, no, no, I did not. And, um, and you know, but in, in every sense of the word, was it a deep emotional experience? Yes. Was it a joy-filled experience? Yes. Uh, did I cry? No. And I've got a picture from that day to show to you, to just show and tell a little bit here. You guys can laugh. I know you're restraining it right now. It's fine. You can look at her and you can say, why would you not cry? It's such a beautiful, it's a beautiful day. It's such a celebration. And then you look at me and you understand, I was just wondering where my hair went to. (laughs) It was a very distracting day for me. It was, it was just full of complex emotions. Um, Okay, we can take that picture down. Um, But the reality of it was for, for me that day, there was a point at which I asked you, when did you learn to cry? Well, that's a day one. But, but when did you learn to cry again? When did you learn that, that deeper cry that, that kids don't experience in the tears of joy? It, it takes a, a greater emotional maturity. And, and I'll say for me, when I learned to cry the second time was, was from Jess and was from our children, was, was from the, the time that we had to, and I've told the story plenty and I'll I'll tell it again probably at some point this series, but not today. But when we had two children that we lost, the two twins, 10 years ago, we had Eden nine years ago, and we had Karis, and then we adopted Jericho. Those are the opportunities that really deepened my emotional maturity enough to where I could cry in lament. I could cry in deep emotional pain, whereas kids only cry in deep physical pain or cry when they don't get what they want. But that emotional depth that results in tears of joy, tears of hope, tears of pleasure, something that you don't, you're not born with in the same way. And, and as we talk about lament, we, we have to ask the question, what is lament? And lament can be defined as just a, a deep cry, as a, as a loud wail, as a, as a cry of grief. Your, your dictionary is going to tell you that to lament is to mourn aloud, to express sorrow uh, to regret, uh, express regret in a demonstrative way, to cry out in grief. That's going to be the dictionary definition. Um, but for Christians, to ask us what, what biblical lament is, we've we got to step back and talk about what it means to grieve. Because to lament is actually the Christian process of grief in the Scriptures, and, and you know that there's stages of grief. You've all read some psychology article online that told you about the stages of grief and, and how, to, how to grieve. And anyone who's been through a process of experiencing deep sorrow and grief knows that you come, you go through stages of it. Lament is like that. It's stages. 
But what I want to present to you from the scriptures today is not just what Webster's Dictionary can define as lament, but a specifically biblical definition of lament that sees lament as a process that acknowledges that we live in a world of deep, deep pain. And, and we're here now doing this series now because a, a couple years ago I thought, man, the world really seems to be losing its mind right now. We really need this study on lament but I just, I, I'm not sure I was ready to present it to you. And I, I did some study through the Psalms of Lament and, and through Lamentations to get to this point. And it just seemed like now is the right point now to really present to you what it means from Scripture to lament. A, a cry from a place of deep sorrow and pain that acknowledges the world is broken, it causes pain, it leads to grief and sorrow, but there is a sovereign God that maintains control. And so that, that's the journey that we go on. Lament is how Christians grieve. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 tells us that Christians do grieve. Uh, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. And so what, what Paul is trying to tell the church in Thessalonica is that they will grieve. And, and and here's, that's a promise from Scripture right there. What Paul is saying is Paul is telling you, you will grieve and we need to recognize that as Christians. We need to not pretend that Christians don't feel pain. We need to not pretend that Christians don't grieve. We need to not pretend that, that things that affect Christians just hurt less because we're Christians. No, 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 life still hurts. And when you lose a loved one, it hurts. And it hurts because it was good. Christians love deeply, and so we lose deeply too. When, when you love deeply, then that loss hurts all that much more. And, and when, you, when you love, um, it, it doesn't just have to be a person that you're grieving. When you love um, the, the job, the career that you've put your life into, and put so much work and effort into, and you lose it, it hurts when you lose a ministry that you've put your life and energy into and you lose it, it hurts. When you lose a relationship that, that you lose a relationship that's not because of death, but because of some tension, some separation within the relationship, whether it's a spouse, it's a child, a grandchild, a, an old friend, whatever it is, that hurts. And Christians then feel pain, deep, deep emotional pain. But Paul tells us not only will you grieve, yes, but you need to not grieve as those who have no hope. There's a distinctively Christian way to grieve. That's what Paul is saying here. And, and what I want to bring to you over the next few weeks is that I believe the biblical process of the prayer of lament gives us a picture of the distinctively Christian way to grieve. That Christians do not grieve as those who have no hope because we have a sovereign God who makes his listening ear available to us to cry out from the depths of pain. Because lament in the Bible is more than just sorrow or sadness. It's about walking through stages of grief, a prayer that is delivered from a point of pain that is on its way to a point of trust. That's the process of lament here. That we start in a point of pain and we voice our pain. We give words to our pain in the form of a prayer to God. But the aim of delivering that prayer to God is to move from pain to renewed confidence and trust in who God is and what he is doing. 
And as we go on that process from pain to trust, we move through the promises of God, the past faithfulness of God, the words of Scripture, all that God has done for His people and individually for us and for the world in salvation. We move through a reminder of all of those beautiful truths to move from the point of pain to promise to trust. So lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And we're, we're going to pray our way there over these next few weeks. We're going to try to move and, and to process through the pain that we all experience. And so the worst thing that you can do as a follower of Christ is just pretend that you're not experiencing pain. Christians are really good at empty platitudes. And well, I'm just going to trust God. And it's way easier to say than do. Like we all know that in the midst of trials, we should trust God and exercise our faith. We all know that God is going to bring about the ultimate hope of restoration on the last day. We know that, but to say that when you don't believe it doesn't help anybody. And to say that to somebody just as an empty statement when they don't believe it isn't actually helping them because sometimes there are real concerns that need to be voiced. Sometimes that pain really needs to be actually processed through. And that's what lament does. Uh, the word lament is often understood as a complaint. And so a prayer of complaint in Psalms and in Lamentations, it, it's, it's a prayer of complaint. It's not just, it's not a happy prayer. That's why I say if you were to open Psalm, or Lamentations 1 and 2 this week, it's going to be heavy. If there's anything joyful you take out of Lamentations 1 and 2, it's like, well, at least I'm not there. Like, that's the only joy you can receive because there, where they are in Lamentations 1 and 2, is really, really bad. And, and the considerations that come that we'll open up over the next couple weeks, it's going to be hard to wade through. But the reason it's there in Scripture is to give us hope. To give us hope that God has a listening ear in the midst of the most traumatic circumstances. When you are experiencing deep pain and deep sorrow, God cares and He's listening. A simple illustration if you've ever had a bad, bad experience with a particular service, company, product, whatever, and you've ever said, I really want to issue this complaint because this service was not what it was cracked up to be, this product that broke on the second use, I really need to tell somebody, I need to voice my complaint. And sometimes all you want to know is that somebody has heard you, has listened to you, and actually cares that you've had a bad experience with their product. But in the world of call centers and online customer service and all these chats and things like that, you have no idea who you're talking to. You have no idea if that person actually cares. And it's really hard to get through sometimes. And that's what's going to lead to that frustration, which is, I just want to talk to a real person, not an automated message, not a chat, an AI chat feature. I want to talk to a real person that actually cares about my concern. That's what's distinctively Christian about our laments, is that when life hurts, we don't just shout it at the wind. We actually speak to a God who listens, to a God who cares, to a God who loves his children and continues to have our best interests in mind. What's distinctively Christian about the way we grieve and the way we lament here is God's listening ear and God's sovereign control and God's good purposes and plan. So as we talk about lament from Scripture, um, there's, there's a way to categorize the way lament happens in Scripture. And as I said, there's about 50 psalms that are psalms of lament. There's also the book of Lamentations, which is five chapters of basically kind of five different laments, and in another sense, one long lament. But in each of these laments, you can categorize biblical lament has four main characteristics. 
And this is not original to me. This is multiple scholars have affirmed this, and they might define it a little bit differently. But we're going to first see four main components of biblical lament. And this is why we're starting in six verses of Psalm 13 today, so that we understand lament a little bit better before we go into the longer passages of Lamentations. Four components of biblical lament. You turn to God in prayer. Again, this is, this is the point where it is so distinctively Christian. Because anybody can do two and three. Two and three of complaint and request, anybody can do that. Really, two, everybody's good at that. Every, every human being that's ever lived is really good about complaining about things that cause them pain and things that frustrate them. But what's distinctively Christian about this is one and four, that we address our concerns somewhere, that we come to God recognizing and believing that he's actually going to listen to us. And then that's where the process happens. You first turn to God in prayer. Next, you, you state your complaint. And you say, my life is bad right now. I am hurting. I am unhappy. This bad thing has happened. You, you make it known to God. Because here's the problem. The problem is when we pretend as if our, our hurting circumstances don't hurt. And when we act like everything's okay when it's not okay. Let me tell you something. You're not fooling God. You're not fooling God and the Holy Spirit when you act as if something that hurts doesn't hurt. You might fool your brother and sister in Christ. You might fool somebody who really loves you and cares about you. You might fool them into thinking they don't need to help you and you're not hurting right now, but you're never going to fool God. So state your complaint. Don't pretend that there's not one. Turn to God in prayer. Complain, but don't just complain. Say, God, I, I need you. Often the prayers of lament have very simple requests. But then finally, there's a renewed statement of trust. Because again, this is a process where we don't want to just stay in our complaint. We don't want to just stay in our sorrow and stay in our pain. We want to voice it. We want to recognize that he's heard. We want to remember his past faithfulness and his future promises. And that's what's going to lead us through the complaint, through the request, to the point of trust. So, you turn to God. You complain. You ask. And then you trust a four-part process. And guys, this is the reason I'm doing this is because I think this is a way that we can really revolutionize our prayer lives. When things are hard, where we can actually just feel free to acknowledge, like David, like the prophet Jeremiah, God, this is hard. I don't like this. Hard is hard. But you can also work your good through hard. That's the goal of the lament. And so when we apply it specifically to Psalm 13, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to come, I'm going to read all through the six verses of Psalm 13. And then we're going to come back and we're going to see how those four main components of biblical lament are found in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, that I, lest I sleep the sleep of, of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord 
because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's it, six chapters of Psalm 13. And, and it's so jarring, really, when you think about it. When a lament is that short, it feels like you got whiplash because you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? I, you have dealt bountifully with me. How do you get from how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me to ever, forever to you have dealt bountifully with me? In just six chapters, the, David, the author of this psalm, goes on an incredible progression. And, and that's why I want to use this one because it's, it's so quick. It, it's, it, it's easier for us to wrap our heads around what is happening in this passage and in this structure. So if I were to tell you now, take the four parts, the four main components, uh, turn to God in prayer, complain, request, and the statement of trust, and look at the six verses of Psalm 13, most of you would probably be able to pretty much figure it out, but I'm going to give you the answers anyway. Um, The first line is the statement, uh, is the turn to God. Uh, Psalm 13, 1, how long, O Lord? Again, a distinctively Christian move. Christians Talk to God about their problems. Christians don't talk to Facebook about their problems. I mean, they can, but, but for the most part, our direction is not to just complain to everybody else. Our direction is to go to God. Our direction is not to complain about the people that wrong us in public or in private and talk about how terrible that person is to have done this to us. Our primary direction is to give it to God. How long, O Lord, will you allow this person that is so wicked to prosper while I struggle over here? That is a prayer, listen, that any of us could utter. Because when you really think about it, you can look around and you can look at the sorrows that you're experiencing and then you can look around to somebody that you know well or somebody that you don't know well, but somebody that you know is living in wickedness and it just seems like they're prospering in the eyes of the world. And sometimes that hurts when you really analyze it and when you think about it. And you think, God, do you really desire my good? God, are you really going to bless me? Because look at how my life is so full of pain and their life seems to be so full of joy. Now, of course, that, that's sort of a, an empty and faulty set, set of assumptions there because ultimate joy is not found in the pleasures of this world, is not found in the resources of this world. But our perspective as fallen human beings who live here in this world We've got to figure out how to live here when it looks like that guy is prospering in his wickedness and it looks like I'm struggling in my faithfulness. And you've got to find a way to voice that. So God, how long, O Lord? That's the first step in this um, prayer of lament. Step two, complain. And boy, does David ever complain here. He complains by asking the how long question four different times. So the first line of verse 1 is the turn to God, and then the rest of verse 1 and verse 2 are the rest of the complaint. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That's how long, number one. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? For how longs, that's the complaint. And notice that the complaint actually has a bit of a trajectory to it, because the first line is not as bad as the second line. The first line, he gives God the benefit of the doubt. Well, maybe God has just forgotten about me. The second line, no, God hasn't forgotten. He's actively hidden himself from me. God, will you forget me? No, 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 you haven't forgotten me. You've hidden yourself from me. You've actively hidden yourself from me. And then, then line three, I'm all alone. The, this, this sense of taking counsel in my own soul 
and have sorrow in my heart all the day long. Let's be real here. It never works well to take counsel from yourself. This is what we would call living in your own head. Like that you do not get good advice when you just stay in your own head and you talk to yourself all the day because you reinforce the, reinforce the worst parts of your own flesh. And when all you're doing and you feel like there's nobody else out there that has your corner, nobody else out there is there to help you, and you're just living in your own head all the time, it leads towards more and more pain and frustration and more despair. So David says, I'm so tired of living in my own head all day. I'm so tired of feeling like I don't have somebody to voice it to because it feels like God has forgotten me. It feels like God has hidden himself from me. And now it feels like I'm all alone. And not just is he all all alone, it gets worse. There are bad guys that are not alone. There are bad guys that are prospering. That's the how long for. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Why am I suffering while they prosper? We don't know the exact context of Psalm 13. We don't know exactly what's going on in David's life. But we know David knew a lot about suffering. Some of it self-inflicted. Some of it just happened to him. David goes from being this young shepherd boy, the hero of Israel, the anointed king. And then, all of a sudden, his best friend's dad decides to go after him. And he's public enemy number number one of the sitting king of Israel. Because Saul decides, I want to kill David. So Saul sends his people, his army, after David. And David is living in caves, on the run, for, for a long period of time, running from Saul, in danger, his own life in danger every single day. And then, God moves, and David finally gets to be king. Saul dies, David gets to be king, and the prosperity starts, right? No! David was was in war, leading the nation of Israel in war all throughout his entire reign. There was not peace in David's reign. It was either him running for his own life or him battling with other other, uh, nations, enemies of Israel, or there's family trauma and conflict. We all know the story of Bathsheba. That's a self-inflicted one. But we also know um, the stories of his children. David's children weren't that great. And there was sin after sin after sin in his own children's line, causing grief and sorrow and pain within his own household. David's life was a difficult one. It sounds like he's probably talking about him running and living in caves as Saul's after him, because it looks like his enemy is prospering and he's suffering. That's probably the context here, but we don't know for sure. We just know David was a guy that lived a lot of laments, and he wrote a lot of the 50 laments that are there in the book of Psalms. But is it okay to do this? Is it okay to pray like David's praying here? Is it okay to turn to God and say, how long, O Lord? Is it okay to turn to God and and say, I feel like you've forgotten me? Is it okay to say, I feel like you're hiding yourself from me? Let me make a careful distinction here. I do not believe it is right in our prayers and in our laments to, to disparage the character of God to attack the character of God, to tell him he's not good, to tell him he does not care about us. But I do believe it is right and appropriate to do as David did and to say, this is the pain that I'm experiencing. It feels like you have forgotten me. Because David very quickly at the end knows that God has not forgotten him. But he says it at the beginning of the prayer for a reason, because that's what he is experiencing right now. He does not believe that God is wicked and has forgotten him or hidden from him. He believes 
who God has revealed himself to be through the scripture and through his life, but he is voicing the pain of his experience right there. And sometimes that's what we need in our point of grief. We just need to know that God, we need to know, listen, back to the illustration if you have some complaint about a product. If you then get through to somebody on the phone after hours of waiting on hold, and you talk to somebody who has zero control, but it's just like, gee, man, I'm sorry. That really does stink. Yeah, apparently our products aren't good. That's not going to make you feel better anyway. Like, what you want is you want somebody that's going to listen, that's going to care, and that's going to be able to do something about it. That's, that's what David has here. Somebody that's listening, somebody that cares, and somebody that has sovereign control over his life and the circumstances all around him. That's the beauty here. That's what Christian lament is. And so it's not just that he's complaining, but he asks a question. And he asks a question in verse 3 and 4 because he believes God's actually going to do something. And it's a really simple question, the ask stage. So I said, you turn, verse 1, complain, verse 1 and 2, and then the ask is 3 and 4 here in Psalm 13. And the ask is very simple, consider and answer. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. And then he goes on, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's not saying... He's not giving a particular of all the circumstances in his life that are bad. He's just saying, God, I just need you to listen. I need you to answer. God, I need you to give me a reason to live. That's what he's saying there. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What he's saying there is, I I feel like I might as well be at the point of death. Have you ever been there at a point? I can look back, I think about our, our, our wedding pictures, and I think... Not only did I have no hair, um, but also I think there was so much hope, so much energy, so much life. But then over time, life kind of beats you down. And, and you, you, have you ever looked at an old picture of yourself from a previous stage of life and thought, man, I was so hopeful then. I, I was so excited then. I was so joyful then. And then the cares and concerns of this life have just really, really weathered my soul. And it can be discouraging to look back. And that's what, that's what David's experiencing here. Light up my eyes again. Because he knows what it means to be full of life, full of faith, full of energy, and ready to live a life that makes a difference for the Lord God. And he's recognizing now, I don't have that light. I don't have that energy right now. So God, bring it back to me. Bring it back. Bring me from the point of death. And he says, don't let my enemy think that they're winning. Don't let my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But then, the most significant part, the destination of the journey is in verses 5 and 6. And it starts with a but. And when you see all of these laments, you're going to see that the words however and but are occurring constantly throughout them. Because a lament is a prayer in a point of tension. A a lament is a prayer that lives in the tension between real deep pain and real sovereign trust and faith. So you have to voice the pain and say, what I'm experiencing now really hurts, but I still trust. I still have confidence. 
I can still retain faith. So there, there is a transition in these biblical laments with the word but or with the word however. When you move from a place of deep pain to a place of renewed trust. And that's the destination. That's, that's the goal of where we're going here. So look at verse 5 and 6 and what it says to us. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So again, it's, it's a little bit jarring to go in six verses from, cha- from verses 1 and 2 to verses 5 and 6. Lord, you have forgotten me, but I will trust. Lord, your face is hidden from me, but my heart rejoices in your salvation. Lord, my enemy is exalted over me, but I will sing to the Lord. I am shaken, but he has dealt bountifully with me. These phrases of verses 1 and 2 against the phrases of 5 and 6 don't seem to make sense without a really powerful transition. And how does David get to that point of powerful transition? He voices his concerns. He doesn't stuff them. He doesn't pretend that he's stronger than he is and he can just deal with it. He doesn't pretend that the the life that hurts doesn't actually hurt. He voices his concern. He makes it known to God. And then he remembers. Look at the tense of verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted. He's talking about the past. I have trusted. And so, because I have trusted, my heart shall rejoice. Present tense moving forward. Past trust renews present tense and future rejoicing. And the Hebrew grammar makes it really clear that he's actually speaking in the first half of chapter 5 about one particular specific instance. There is some instance in which he says, it's like he's saying, I know what it means to specifically trust you in your steadfast love in a circumstance and see you show up, see you deliver. And because I saw you deliver back here in your steadfast love, I can rejoice now and I shall rejoice in your salvation moving forward. Past faithfulness, renewing present tense rejoicing, preparing for future rejoicing. Again in verse 6, the same thing. I will sing present tense into the future because he has, back to the past, dealt bountifully with me. Think about what Paul says about peace that surpasses all understanding. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds and thank Christ Jesus. So part of Moving to a place of peace is to make your request to God. That's what this ask stage is of the biblical lament. But along with the ask stage is a remembrance, a remembrance of past faithfulness. That's why Paul is telling you to make any of your requests, all those deep, dark requests that you're ashamed to make in church, that you, it becomes a silent prayer request in church because, or an unspoken prayer request in church because you're afraid to voice it in front of a group of people, all of those unspokens can be spoken because of God's past faithfulness. And because of his past faithfulness, you can rejoice and you can express thanksgiving in your prayers. So what is David talking about? Again, I don't know the specific circumstance he's talking about. Maybe, just maybe, David knew what it was like to fear for his death as he was staring into the face of a lion or into the face of a bear or into the face of a giant. And maybe, just maybe, this king with his cohort didn't seem as frightening to David after God had delivered him from the mouth of the lion, the mouth of the bear, and the sword of the giant. 
And God had already delivered in physical victory for David, in physical provision and protection. And so therefore, what David was experiencing then at that point, it felt traumatic, it felt difficult, but he remembered God's past faithfulness and it gave him confidence to keep moving forward. So what about for us? Part of lament is really disciplining yourself to remember God's past faithfulness. That's, that's one of those, those secret ingredients that's essential to living a life of faith. And, and let's say, let's say that you're one of those people that, that is, is living in this shelter, in this former college that's shut down in Ukraine right now, and you've been displaced and you're living with 170 other people in one little room because everything in your, in your country has gone crazy over the last two months. Let's say you're one of those people that, that Tom and Donnie were just with last night. Let's say you're one of those people in such great trauma, and you're like, I can't look at any past faithfulness, I can't look at anything concrete and say God is good, but you can Because no matter how bad your life gets, the greatest gift has already been given back here. And whatever you're asking God for now, his graciousness, his gift, his miraculous power in any gift he gives you in the future will not exceed what he did back here at the cross to defeat sin and to make you righteous and to defeat death so that you could have new life in him. That is the ultimate past faithfulness in which we can, verse 5, trust in his steadfast love because he's done it back there. Because he's done this back there, we can trust that we can trust him. We can trust the one who is holding on to us because of what he did back here. But most of us have many more examples of past faithfulness. Most of us can look back at the cross and say, absolutely, God delivered there on my behalf. I am not condemned. I will not pay the penalty for my sins because I have trusted in him. And we can renew our present tense confidence by remembering that past tense confidence. Remember what it meant to trust Christ for the first time and to hear the good news for the first time. Remind yourself of the beauty of that gospel. But most of us have plenty of concrete things to say that not just did I experience great trauma, but also God delivered. Not just did I lose two children at birth, but I had another child that was there for two weeks and God miraculously delivered her. Not, not just did I, did I never get to see my two little boys grow up, but God, through a miraculous circumstance, brought us another little boy that he brought into our family. Not, not just have I experienced pain over here and loss over here and lost loved ones, but also God has done amazing things. And that's why David can say at the end, he has dealt bountifully with me. The, the Psalms of Lament and the Book of Lamentations They're going to take us into deep, deep waters. But we can follow David in these statements of trust. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He has dealt bountifully with me. Now what happens if you're stuck on that road? I said this is a journey. This is a road from the point of pain to the destination of renewed trust and confidence in God. What if you're stuck on that road? And then you remember that past confidence you had back here and who Christ was and what he's done. And you let that past confidence renew your present tense confidence. But, but if you can't get there, if you're stuck, and you're stuck in the complaint stage, you've turned to God, you're complaining to God, you, can't, you don't know what to ask him, and you sure haven't had that, renewed, that point of renewed trust yet, that's what the Christian community is for. 
Because we are called to be a community that embraces others as we go through these things. A culture of trust, a culture of renewed trust, even in the midst of real intense pain. So as a community, we're not called to minimize pain. We're not called to pretend that pain doesn't exist. We're called to embrace it together and to love each other through it. But then the, the most dangerous thing is if you're stuck on this road to trust because you've never actually trusted him at all. Because you've never actually really bent your knee and said, God, I can't do this on my own. See, the gospel says it's good news that you can't do it on your own. It's good news that you can't solve your own problems. It's good news that you have no strength to, to face the, the enemies that you face. It's good news that you will not be forsaken because Christ was forsaken. When Christ cried out that Christ-centered lament, Psalm 22, what Christ quotes on the, on the cross is a lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know why. It's so that you could have life. It's so that you could have new life in Christ. And that's the good news. Christ has won. Christ has died. Christ has paid the penalty for you so that you could be new in him. And so maybe you're stuck on the road to trust because you've never gotten to that point of initial trust to truly give your life to Christ. And if that's the point, then you need to come see me afterwards today. And we need to get that straightened out because we need to walk out having renewed trust because we know for sure who we are in Christ and what he has done on our behalf. So I'm going to ask the team to come up and sing. They're going to close us um, today and um, we're going to sing of, of the greatness of God. Because in the midst, and when we sing, great are you, Lord, don't you dare think that we're singing as if the world isn't hurting. Don't you dare think that we're, that we're ignoring all of the pain and suffering in the world. We, we are fully cognizant of that, and yet proclaiming in hope and in faith, he's still great. He's still at work. Stand and sing with us. You give life. Our love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Oh, great are you, Lord. It's your grace.
today and we recognize that part of the reason we can move from the point of pain to the point of renewed faith is your breath in our lungs and your spirit interceding for us when we do not have the words to pray ourselves. your spirit intercedes with us and joins us in this effort so yeah we, we stubbornly proclaim your greatness God and when the world doubts you the world sees all the evil and pain and suffering in the world, we still proclaim your goodness and your greatness, and we trust in your sovereignty. Father, renew our prayer lives this week as each of us then have the opportunity to present our requests to you, even in the form of complaints, even in the form of hard requests and difficult questions. We present our requests to you, Father. Move us to trust as we do. And we pray, pray this in the name of the risen Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.